Jobs, 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 and hobbies, work, 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 and play. Hey there, job audience. Today we have Kevin Pollock, and he's going to be talking to us about his job as a petroleum engineer. Kevin, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Hey, Nathan, happy to be here. Uh, we had a little bit of technical difficulties. My my fault, all my fault, but we're here, and um, I want to talk to you about your job, Kevin. Is that a, is that cool? I guess so, because you <laughs> agreed to be on the show. But Agreed to be on the show, yeah, happy to talk about a job or uh, anything in between. So let's just start off by me asking you, what is it that you do for a living? I'm a petroleum engineer. Um, I graduated from, from Texas A&M uh, back in 2014, where I studied petroleum engineering. It's one of the few colleges that offer that as a degree plan, because um, it is naturally a hybrid of both chemical and, and mechanical engineering. And I've been practicing that in the industry now for about seven years. So, okay, so you, you've got some some experience under your belt. Um, t- tell me, tell me, and our listeners, what a petroleum engineer does, kind of day to day. Sure. Uh, within petroleum engineering, there are a couple of different subsets. So, you know, four categories that I like to think of. Uh, one is uh, reservoir engineering, and that's that's actually what I do. Uh, two is production engineering. Uh, three, completion engineering, and four is. Uh, drilling engineering and so if we think about like the life cycle of an oil and gas asset all four of those different disciplines are involved uh, in different stages of that life cycle so for example the reservoir engineer uh, again what i do typically on a day-to-day basis is going to be responsible for working with the geologist to understand uh, or make uh, an assumption about where these oil and gas accumulations might be within the subsurface. Uh, And so if we have an assumption of where uh, the oil and gas accumulation might be, then we can uh, coordinate with a drilling engineer to go out there and actually drill the well. And then once we drill a productive well, we'll ask a completion engineer to to finish that operation, to complete uh, the well and turn that over to to sale so we can start producing the raw hydrocarbon. Uh, and that's the production engineer's job is in order to maintain or optimize that production stream, uh, which again, ultimately goes to a sales point, usually located in some type of port city where they're gonna do some refining and process that raw hydrocarbon into many of the useful products that you and I use every single day. Uh, that could be gasoline. I think sometimes think think about gasoline and natural gas, uh, but there are other derivatives that come from hydrocarbons that we're often less familiar with or or less uh, aware that they come from hydrocarbons. This could be as simple as the plastics that are in the ear, AirPods that we're using right now, you know, um, or oh, yeah. or it could be yeah, that's right. That's a little plug, a little Apple plug for you. Um, and, and probably most, probably most of your audience is using the AirPods, uh, we had an Apple plug in the very last episode with, Man, um, are, so you're pretty Brit. much sponsored at this point, if, if I'm understanding it correctly. Well, I will say disclaimer, I did the Apple ad, um, 
You I, did. Like I, it was like a fake apple ad, and I just like and it went because she was talking about um eating an apple or like getting an apple from a student as a gift, and so I made it like an apple dot com ad. Um, so I'm yeah, they're getting a lot. They're getting a lot for free right now. <laughs> yeah, I so, think I saw the jump in the stock price, which was undoubtedly related to that ad. <laughs> so so you're a reservoir engineer. Do do most people probably or do a lot of people struggle to spell reservoir if they haven't like seen it before or do you not really run across that too much? I I personally struggled to, to spell reservoir until I was about uh until I was about two years into my job and I thought, you know, enough is enough. If I'm gonna be doing this for a living, I sure need to figure out how to spell it. Um and so after a couple hours of diligent study I, I was able to put pen to, pen, pen to paper and figure it out. Yeah. Pen to paper. Would, would, it, would Maybe the pen could have some petroleum products and paper, maybe not as much, but it could. I guess you, to produce paper, you'd have to, like, produce. I'm See, this is all technical. This goes over my head. Wait, let's just go into, like, no, it's, what are... Yeah, it's, it's really, <laughs> yeah, it's really good that uh, you... you, you we start to think a little bit more abstractly about the oil and gas industry. Cause I, I think, I think it's an industry that we all interact with knowingly or unknowingly every day. Uh, but, but for some reason or another uh, it's, it's somewhat mysterious to the layperson, and they, and they might think as simply as, okay, there are these pools of oil and underneath the ground and it's as simple as putting a straw in the ground and then plumbing that over to the nearest gas station. And the reality is that's a you know gross simple oversimplification of what is a, a fully integrated, um, massive international business uh, that employs millions and millions of, of hardworking professionals. And so I, I think as we like try to wrap our arms around the oil and gas space, the important uh, th- thing to first recognize is that Oil and gas is it's a natural resource, uh, and it's found in what we refer to as as reservoirs or rocks that hold you know this oil and gas in their pore space. And so that you know without getting too technical, but that you know that's that's the same phenomenon you experience as you're walking along the beach, and you look down at at, at the sand below you. And you realize that as the waves lap up on the shore, that water has a tendency uh, to soak down into the sand grains and kind of go down uh, towards towards uh, a deeper level. And so that's what's happened. That's happened over the course of a, a long period of time. And these these reservoir rocks have basically trapped and and held oil and gas in their pore space. And so, without getting into the in, into the nitty gritty technical components, there, it's just it's important to recognize how the fluids are in their natural state uh, without considering what what most people often do, and that's oh, surely there's just got to be these oceans or lakes of of oil or gas uh, underneath our feet, and the reality is it's a lot more complicated uh, than that. Yeah, and like you can't just. I'd imagine like like when you said the straw putting it on the ground, like sipping up the oil, um, and like that would be gross. You were talking about how it'd be like a gross oversimplification of how things work, but but 
But no, I mean, you use like a pipe. You don't actually, people aren't, you don't have like a team of like a hundred people, like all with straws trying to like suck it out of the ground. Like there's machines that do all this, right? Sometimes we have machines and pumps that can uh, pump the fluid from one area to the next in, in the same way that you'll have pipeline pumps that transport fluid from one part of the nation to the other. Uh, but more often than not, we have the benefit of a natural pressure gradient between the subsurface and the surface. And so we know that things are going to flow from high pressure to low pressure. And the same way that things that that the air will flow from uh, hot temperature uh, to to a colder temperature, right? When it's when it's really cold outside, you know, you and I both live in, in Houston, Texas. And so we experienced what was a dramatic freeze this last week uh, oh, or the no. week before. It was like 15 degrees outside. It was absolutely unheard of uh, for anywhere in Houston. And you were in the you were in the business of making sure that your apartment door was closed, uh, that your windows were all closed. Why? Because your apartment was was well insulated. It was heated, but we know instinctively that if we were to open up the door, then all that hot air is going to push out, it's going to flow out into an area uh, of colder air, right? And so that's the temperature gradient. Now we use a similar, we use similar physics. I'm just using the temperature analogy because it's a little bit more easy to conceptualize, but uh, the analogy is then transferable to the pressure regime. And so things are going to flow from high pressure to low pressure. And so in the subsurface or in the, in these reservoir rocks that are beneath the ground, they're often a higher pressure than that of uh, ambient conditions or that you and I are walking around at, you know, 17 and a half, give or take PSI. And so if things are at a much higher pressure in the reservoir, then they're going to want to, they're going to want to move to an area of lower pressure, which is the uh, atmosphere condition. And so we're naturally going to be able to flow. We're naturally going to be able to flow from the reservoir to the surface. And of course, there's a lot of mechanics involved in between these two stages. We've got what we call chokes or other um, bottom hole flow uh, devices in order to restrict that flow and make it a safe production stream over a long period of time. So we're not getting too much all at once, uh, but, it, but it really does just naturally by the pressure that's in the subsurface have a tendency to wanna flow from one area to another. Does, does that make float. sense? Like. It yeah, first thinking sense. about the temperature. Yeah, first thinking about temperature, but then how that's related, um, or or how it's analogous to how things would flow from a higher pressure to a lower uh, pressure. It does make sense. And actually, I interviewed my dad. He's a geologist for one of the podcast awesome. episodes. And I've had yeah, I think him he was one of your first, right? Whole life. Yeah. Um, yeah. He's, he's one You've of had him through so your dad's your whole life. That's great. I've had him for my whole life. So I've heard different things. But but you know it's but. But you see it a little bit differently than he would see because he's a he's a geologist. You're a reservoir engineer, and so like you have you have a, a different perspective. It's interesting. Um, I don't know, hearing from you a, a little different take on it. Also, like when it's your dad, sometimes you don't like listen to everything that's said. Um, but you know, if it's a friend, sometimes you just like like hear a little bit more. I don't know. Um, but Kevin, I want to ask a, a couple questions like what what are your favorite things about your job and what are some things that make your job hard well we'll we'll, we'll focus on the positive first uh there are a lot of things i like about my job 
Nathan. Um, there, there are some things that I like about like the type of work that, that I'm involved in. Um, and that, that being, you know, these projects are, uh, they're large scale, uh, capital projects that, that often involve multiple different companies. You have maybe a complex partnership and negotiations that are involved in order to, to, to execute these projects. You know, it's an international business. So it's quite common for me to, on a daily basis, interact with people of you know, many different cultures and, and ethnicities. Um, and and it's, an, it's an industry, as we already alluded to, that impacts everyone's day um, on, on and arguably on a daily basis. So, so, you know, we've got, it's a high impact um, industry. It's an industry that's, that's, that's large scale projects and you're working with people from all over the world. And so that's like, you know, a concoction that I'm, I'm really excited about that I really enjoy. Now that's like a macroscopic scale or on a microscopic scale, like specifically in the company that I'm working for, uh, I have a chance to work with some really good people. Uh, it's a smaller company than I was at before. So there's a little bit more responsibility to the individual uh, participant, which which I like, which can be really exciting. And it, it's, it just seems like it's something that I'm literally excited to do uh, every day. So I, you know, I wake up, I'm, I wake up and I'm, I'm ready to go into the office. You know, now with, with COVID, we're going in on a part-time basis. And so some days I'm working from home and I've adapted my wife's craft, uh, craft area to a, to a reservoir engineering area, which couldn't be more different than one another. Um, but yeah, so, so yeah, there's some macroscopic things that I think is really cool about the oil and gas industry. Uh, and then there's some microscopic things just to, my personal day-to-day job with the specific company that I'm working for that I, that I definitely enjoy. Uh, some of the challenges that, that I think we're facing weaving oil and gas industry as a whole is much of the sound bites that you hear in the news, you know, some of the increased momentum on, uh, on renewables or other alternative forms of energy. Uh, and, and so, we can look at we can look at the energy consumption space across the world and recognize that oil and gas um, and and coal those those three uh, conventional those conventional energy sources make up about eighty percent or ninety percent of total world consumption of energy hmm. and so the fundamentals are still there but undoubtedly and and you you know this as well as anyone as as you turn on the tv or or go on your twitter feed or you know however you consume the news you're going to see more and more conversation around the renewable space which i think is which i think is a good conversation um but it's something that seems to be bringing both attention and investment away from the oil and gas space or the more conventional energy uh, space. So, like, yeah, what what, are, what is your take on um, maybe how quickly we'd we'd move into more renewables, or um, just some of the thoughts? What's like the atmosphere like maybe at your company with that topic? Yeah, and I'll, man, you'd be 
better suited to have a guy heck of a lot smarter than me on, on the podcast to kind of talk about these things because you know there's 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 like physics and research at, at play here things that I'm 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 not um, super well versed in you know all the up and coming renewables but there's also like macroscopic economic considerations that are at play but I, I will try to answer the question you know as as I see it and as many of my colleagues and I have discussed it um, so you, you have you know you have what is sensational and you have what is fundamental right and it's important for us um, as students of the energy space to be able to uh, bifurcate those two things okay so what is sensational is what's all over the news Right, it's re renewables. It's the Green New Deal. It's it's you know trying to get everybody in a Tesla. Right, that's that's sensational. But what's fundamental um, is how the energy, how the world consumes energy. Okay, and that's like I had, I had shared before with the stats that between oil and natural gas, you're making up somewhere around uh, 55% or 60% of the total energy consumption around the globe. And then when you layer in coal on top of that, that's an incremental 25% or so. And so you've got these, these three uh, legs of the stool, so to speak, that take on the lion's share or, or account for the lion's share of the world energy consumption. And so that that's going to be the narrative uh, for at least for at least the foreseeable future uh, in, in my career and, and why why people can speak confidently along those lines is because the growth trajectory you know the growth trajectory of energy is going nothing but up and to the right I mean think about the the home example I mean at one point it was okay for your router to connect to four different devices you know, now I saw an ad the other day at, for, it was either AT&T or Xfinity, and it's talking about how this new router is compatible with like 20 or 30 different devices, because the average family of four has like 20 or 30 different devices that need to be connected to Wi-Fi at any one time. And so that's, you know, a Wi-Fi example, but it, it's, clear to, it's clear to extrapolate that to overall energy utilization. And as, and as we continue to bring more and more people out of poverty, uh, worldwide through some of the advancements in medicine and through this, some of the advancements uh, and just overall quality of life, those people coming out of poverty will have expectations that you and I take for granted, expectations to uh, have air conditioning, expectations to uh, maybe drive a car or a motorcycle or participate in some form of public transportation. So all of these things put a greater and greater need on energy consumption. And so everybody, everybody in the world thinks that energy consumption is going to go up into the right over time. And so even if, even if more energy consumption is being made up of renewables, you still have this base uh, that's being made up of these conventional uh, oil, gas, and, and coal segments. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I, and I've heard a lot about just yeah how like the bulk of it is oil and gas and um and how like you can't just fully um exist on renewables but they're yeah they are kind of like on top of that and like it's it's funny also like because like people think sometimes people think like electricity is oh a, something totally different but it, you get electricity from oil and gas 
Absolutely. And well, that's, like, and I that's, mean, there could be other ways, right? But like, those aren't, it's just like not, we don't, we can't run everything by windmills and solar panels. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, people have to think outside of uh, their own sphere of influence. You know, even the Tesla driver has to recognize that the majority of their electricity that's utilized to power their car comes through uh, natural gas. Right. And so it's like, how far, how far away from your person are you willing to draw the line? Like if I, if I draw the line at the curb, then I think, yeah, buying a Tesla is probably the best thing I can do for the environment. Uh, but if I, if I draw the line farther and farther away from my person or from my property, then you realize that there is still a significant, there's still a significant piece of this supply chain that's dependent on oil and gas. And you can even draw it as far to you know, the mines in China where they, where they uh, mine many of these raw materials that are required for battery, battery manufacturing. And all of, those, all, all of that equipment is run off of diesel. And so don't misunderstand me here just because something has been done a certain way and we've relied on a certain industry in the past doesn't mean that that industry will prevail for the next 100 years or 200 years. I mean, as, as a species, we have a remarkable knack for innovation, um, and especially when there's, when there's a need for it. And so I think the energy space is going to change uh, over the long run, probably over even our lifetime. But even if it's changing, there's a certain base that will, in our lifetime, always need oil and gas. And, and a big part of that right now is related to the cost, the cost of fuel. So it's a lot, it's a lot, it's a lot less expensive to use oil and gas than it is to go through a full development on some of these renewables. And so when you talk about emerging ec economies, it's far more practical for them to run off of oil and gas and coal than it is for them to run off of renewables. And who are we to say as a developed Western nation, no, you're not allowed to uh, cool or heat your, your house because you have to only use renewables, which they are decades away from being able to um, accomplish. Huh. Yeah, that's true. Like, you can't just put um, it's a lot easier to make rules than to, to follow them. Like they're not always. And that interesting. They don't, yeah. they always make sense. Um, Kevin, do you have any tips for people who would want to get into the energy space? I think there are a couple of natural on ramps uh, to get into the to get into the energy space. Uh, you know, that, sure, surely with. Um, uh, undergraduate degree in, in some type of engineering uh, or finance or even technology. Um, I, I know that most oil and gas companies or uh, energy companies will go to on-campus recruiting events. That's how I placed uh, a job originally. And so that, that's one piece of it. That's maybe like practical advice. I think even earlier on, it's, it's worthwhile you know, talking, to, talking to people who are involved in that space. You know, it, one of the things that I found confidence in in my high school years is talking to those that have, were, were involved in the oil and gas 
industry and hearing about uh, their experience, hearing about similar to our conversation, Nathan, hearing about what they liked about their job, what they thought was challenging about their job, because there's never going to be a perfect job. I'm, I'm sure you hear that as a consistent theme on your podcast. Um, but yeah. if there's, if there's, you know, some, some things that, that stick out and some things that you, know, you can get excited, excited about, then it's maybe easy to take that next step and try to learn a little bit more. And over a long period of time, those things have a tendency of, of aggregating together and turning into, uh, big life decisions. So the last thing I want to ask you before we part is um, if money didn't exist, would you still do the same job? I, I would, I would do the same job or I would do something very similar. Um, if money didn't exist, It's hard for me to now imagine. It's hard to me for me to imagine a a world without some sort of currency, but that's maybe for another <laughs> podcast. Um, I'm, I think I'm taking your question a little too literally. Uh, I, I, I so let me pause and reset. Um, I just yeah, I had all these thought experiments that were like, you know, worth worth writing about later. Um, anyway, so I. Man, as I started, I love my job. You know, it's really fun. It gets me out of bed in the morning with some excitement. Uh, my favorite part of my, one of my favorite parts of my job is working with a diverse group of people, learning from them, and also helping them uh, see some things that I've previously discovered. And some of my fondest memories are just collaborating with colleagues around a whiteboard. And one thing I've said before, if, if I ever retire i could i i I could easily enjoy um, teaching or tutoring um as as on a part-time basis after i formally leave the corporate world and so you know maybe a convoluted way of saying if if it's not this job you know it's working out problems similar that similar to this job on a whiteboard or teaching in some classroom about these types of physical phenomenon analytical models, the types of stuff that I'm naturally doing um, in my day-to-day job. So if it's not this job, it's tangentially related to this job, either through math or science or um, collaboration. That's awesome. That's awesome. It's great. That's a blessing, blessing, blessing to, to love your job. And Amen. Not, not, everyone, not everyone does. So um, I'm happy for you. That's awesome. Um, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing a little bit about the energy space. Um, any like closing words or um, any like slogans that you have for yourself uh, just to kind of end it? Well, I've really enjoyed our time, Nathan. I appreciate you for, uh, for having me on. Um, first podcast experience. <laughs> Um, on, on the participating in, you know, I listen to a lot of podcasts and, uh, thanks for having me on, man. Really enjoyed talking with you. Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks so much. Do you or someone, you know, work in an industry that everyone should hear about, or is your hobby too good to keep to yourself? 
reach out and let me know by going to wire slash feedback. That's wyr.es slash feedback. See you next week.